In his dreams, the river was still aflame, and demons danced upon the waters with fiery whips in their hands, while men blackened and burned beneath the lash. Mother, have mercy, Davos prayed. Save me, gentle mother, save us all. My luck is gone, and my son's. He was weeping freely now, salt tears streaming down his cheeks. The fire took it all. The fire. Perhaps it was only wind blowing against the rock, or the sound of the sea on the shore. But for an instant, Davos Seaworth heard her answer. You called the fire, she whispered, her voice as faint as the sound of waves in a seashell, sad and soft. You burned us. Burned us. Burned us. <laughs> no, this episode isn't mistitled. That's just another Davos quote that we like as a parallel to Summerhall. It even refers to Davos's luck running out, the same of which could be said for Aegon the Fortunate, also known as Aegon the Unlikely, also known as Egg. At this point, he could be called Aegon the Unfortunate. This could be how the ghost of Highheart feels, for example, or Jenny of Old Stones if she survived. It's also a reminder of the salt and smoke associated with these well-known and oft-overlapping prophecies, the prince that was promised and Azor Ahai, both of which carry significant links to our topic today. We won't cover those theories in their entirety, though. Our main focus is, of course, the aftermath of Summerhall. Why didn't it work? Who tried to capitalize on the instability? What impact did the event have on the survivors? What impact does it have on the current storyline? I'll answer that one now by saying a lot. We'll answer in more detail and get to the rest of those questions as we move forward. Yeah, so hello and welcome to another episode of History of Westeros podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. Today's episode is focused on Summerhall, and thus it has spoilers for all of the Dunkin' Egg novellas, as well as the World of Ice and Fire. That's right, and this is part two of our Patreon voters episode, the second such episode, well, third such episode, second such topic. Uh, more bang for your buck, I suppose. You guys got more than you expected, more than we expected. We did not know this topic would get so big, obviously. <laughs> it took us longer than we expected, but it's also longer than we expected, so, mm. you know, the, the, the extra time was put to good use. Now, one thing about, a quick note about Patreon, a lot of you out there have subscribed to us on Patreon, have supported us on Patreon, but some people aren't aware that there's an internal messaging system on Patreon, and you may not have be aware that you've got a message from us. So just, <laughs> just in case you're not aware, check that out, respond if you, if you want to, if not, oh, no problem. that reminds me of another thing. If you're commenting on YouTube, sometimes we get comments from people, and there's no reply button. We cannot reply to you. We're not sure why, if it's a setting you have, but if you're asking us a direct question, Please try to check that. We'd love to reply. Yeah, that's it's we sometimes it's a great question and we just uh, <laughs> not much we can do about it. <laughs> also, uh, before we get started, thanks to First Sword Joshua Hayes Cutter, also called Joshua the Raw. Now, imagine a family reunion timed so that it coincides with the birth of a new addition to the family. Well, that's pretty cool. That's a good idea, actually. Mm -hmm. But to have that experience shared by more members of the family could build more unity. Yeah, well, depending on the family. Yeah, it could make things worse <laughs> in some cases. But instead of the planned entertainment, since we don't have a real-life parallel for a dragon egg hatching ceremony mm -hmm. yet, mm -hmm. the about-to-be-great-granddad burns the whole party down, and a lot of people die. <laughs> Though our reverence doesn't exactly do it justice, this is understandably, the stuff nightmares and traumas are made out of. Well, I mean, you might expect, you know, everyone to lead normal lives eventually, after some sort of lengthy grieving process, but you wouldn't really be surprised to find that one or more, or even all of the survivors, were haunted by the experience their entire life. 
It can potentially infect all aspects of life, their relationships with each other, with everyone else, possibly their business dealings. Mm -hmm. It might cause nightmares, sleeping problems, anxiety, other things I'm not really qualified <laughs> to be too specific about, being as how I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the royal family that we're talking about. Unity within the royal family is more important than with other families because without it, the chance of civil war is very much increased. Right, but obviously that didn't work out. <laughs> Unity or not, nor anything resembling such was achieved by Summerhall. And certainly no literal dragons were gained by House Targaryen either. Civil war did come, and a mere 24 years after Summerhall, Robert Baratheon would sit the throne. And even if Robert had lost, evidence shows that Prince Rhaegar may have tried to overthrow his father. For good reasons, of course, but still. The point is that war and or rebellion loomed for many reasons, and Summerhall's shadow on the royal family was a significant contributor. It had a lot to do with Rhaegar's dangerous obsession with prophecy, and quite possibly his father Aerys' obsession with wildfire. The former may have started Robert's rebellion, while the latter almost destroyed King's Landing. Instead, it destroyed the honor of Jaime Lannister, who saved the city by killing the pyromancers who intended to carry out the Mad King's final orders to ignite the wildfire caches. He also slew the man who gave the orders, and Sir Jamie became the Kingslayer. Yeah, Jamie believed that he would be lauded for this act, and he was mistaken. Ares believed that he would rise from the ashes of King's Landing as a dragon, and well, probably mistaken. Yeah, probably. Jury, jury's <laughs> out there. He might still come. <laughs> might have worked. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> Again, I'm no psychologist, but I'm pretty sure the technical term is TMU, which stands for That's Messed Up. <laughs> Now, as we've said, in this episode, we're going to be dealing with the aftermath and fallout with particular focus on the characters and how they were impacted by Summerhall. Because the tragedy had many indirect and or subtle effects on people like Ares and Rhaegar, of course, but also on some of the lesser known figures who are still important, like Rhaella, the Ghost of Highheart, and the Kingsguard. <laughs> this episode endeavors to show how one event can impact many people across several generations. The domino effect, true <laughs> karma. <laughs> We'll start with part one, the day after. The collective expectations from the Targaryens for Summerhall were, well, rather lofty, <laughs> actually. They expected a dragon or seven, <laughs> a newborn son who might be the prince that was promised, and that nobody would mess with them. Fail. Yeah, fail. <laughs> Instead of fulfilled expectations, they had aftermath. Just try to picture the scene when the worst had just passed. When the survivors have made it out, Moments later, the castle's probably still burning a short distance away while the survivors are probably huddled close together, maybe in small groups. Uh, baby Rhaegar is probably wailing. Uh, depending on how it happened, there might be some confusion, blame, anger, fear, surely sorrow, a lot yeah. of shock. Yeah, the, sh the fire would also still be burning, probably, as we're told by Halene the Pyromancer. Once it takes fire, the substance will burn fiercely until it is no more. Yeah, so I think that most or all of the survivors would be wondering just what went wrong, unless it was clear from having seen enough of it. Maybe a few others would be wondering why it didn't work. Yeah. Well, we know that George R. R. Martin basically says Danny's hatching was a miracle of sorts, but besides the general craziness inherent in trying to match, or match? Hatch magical fire-breathing creatures from fossilized eggs, we know that magic wasn't in season back then. See our episode on the Comet, Religions and Magic Part 1, for more on that. So a nice blunt answer for why didn't it work? Well, there was no miracle yeah. this time. <laughs> or so, that time. So then that raises the question of where did everyone go after this? Well, the royals probably gathered together and found somewhere close by to rest. Then they'd have likely soon made their way to King's Landing. Because, of course, 
one of the biggest immediate effects was that Jaehaerys became the new king. So he'd have to get to King's Landing to be crowned, to make it official and all. They may have rushed back quickly before news of the calamity spread, too. I mean, they may have been a little exposed and unguarded, and in part one, we speculated that the Kingsguard was likely pared down and maybe even completely. Yeah, so, so Prince Aerys became heir to the throne, and no one yet knew what they had their hands on with him. Baby <laughs> Rhaegar was born very close to the crown, coming only after his father, of course, and he had just become crown prince and lord of Dragonstone. So <laughs> b- baby Rhaegar, two steps away from the throne right away. <laughs> yeah, Barristan perceived the ghost of Highheart as dead from Summerall, but obviously he's wrong on that count. So this may mean that she ran off immediately after, you know, the tragedy. And that seems pretty likely, especially if Jenny died there. The Ghost of High Heart seems to feel overwhelming grief over the event, but the greater portion of it is for Jenny. Yeah, so is this level of pain what caused such universal silence on the topic? Davos's memories of wildfire give us a glimpse into the mind of a witness. This may explain why some of the survivors had a hard time speaking about it. It was just too awful. But could there be more to it? Definitely possible. Maester Gildane wrote about it eventually, but it appears he had no interest in making it well known to anyone. His work was discovered after his death. We speculated that he might have waited to put his account to paper until all the other witnesses were dead. Still relevant here. Perhaps the truth was embarrassing, right? Or would it be perceived as damaging to the perception of the new king or his heir, the future Mad King, which we talked about the possibility that he somehow started the fire. (laughs) No evidence of that, but it's certainly possible. Ares started the fire. <laughs> if Ares somehow had something to do with the fire breaking out, that would be something to keep quiet from <laughs> the royal family. Wouldn't want that nose getting out because, well, that is embarrassing. <laughs> uh, whatever the case, the possibility that Jaehaerys had a motive for enforcing a silence is definitely intriguing. But of course, the basic details would get out soon. Yeah, you can't, can't keep that secret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the king was dead, along with many others, and Summerall was just gone. King Daron the second symbol of peace would become a curse and the clock began to wind down for House Targaryen. This is terrible news for the commoners who suffer the most when peace is disturbed, but it's worse than that. It was also clear that Aegon the Unlikely's dreams of reform, of greater rights for the commoners and fewer for the lords, were as dead as he was. His son Jaehaerys was intelligent, clever, and capable, but he was also said to lack his father's strength of will and he was a bit of, of a conservative to boot. So even if he had been capable of pushing his father's reforms, he probably didn't even want to. Yeah, that wasn't, in his, that wasn't <laughs> something he wanted to do, probably. <sighs> Besides, who has time for reform when an invasion looms? <laughs> Maelys the Monstrous, backed by the rest of the Band of Nine, was coming, and the War of Nine Penny Kings was about to begin. Part two, Jaehaerys ascends, Blackfires descend. Sometimes it's the little things that matter most. Uh, Jaehaerys' coronation, which would have happened later, if perhaps much later, if or never, uh, without the tragedy of Summerhall, ne- saw many important guests attend. Here comes the domino effect. One in particular either started a relationship or at least left a deep impression on the new crown prince. That night that Ares, or Jaehaerys became king is rumored to be the same night Ares Targaryen had his first affair, maybe only affair, with Joanna Lannister, who came to court for the coronation and stayed to be one of Rhaella's ladies-in-waiting. Now, Ares developed a deserved reputation as a womanizer, so it's pretty easy and probably correct to chalk this up as nothing more complicated than that. But considering how soon after Summerhall this was, possibly it was lust or maybe seeking solace. Mm-hmm. And we know his marriage wasn't happy. I suppose a handsome prince with a legit sob story can charm most maidens. There's that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I have to say, my whole family died. Yeah, please. You've got to take yeah. me. Sleep with me tonight. My whole family was just killed. Uh, okay. <laughs> and but, plus, I'm the crown prince. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, Whatever the truth, though, the bottom line is well known. Arius' lust for Joanna, his crude comments, and his liberties during the betting were collectively a major part of the eventual decline and fallout between Tywin and Ares, who had been great friends for a long time. Indeed, Tywin and Ares got to know each other at a very young age, and apparently this friendship developed quickly. The two were also tight with young Stefan Baratheon, at the time heir to Storm's End and a page at King's Landing like Tywin. Eventually, they all became squires, and at some point, Ares would have gone off with his family to Summerhall and come back. Well, was he different? Did he tell Tywin and Stefan? Stefan was half Targaryen himself, it's even possible he was there, but either way, it's interesting to consider that Tywin, of all people, might be one of the few to know what happened at Summerhall. Yeah, it's easy to forget how close they were as kids, <laughs> and ooh, 15, 16 year olds, they don't keep a lot of secrets yeah. from their, from their so, best I friends. Imagine Tywin and Aerys whispering secret, gossiping <laughs> yeah. about girls. <laughs> it's a weird to picture, imagine, very weird. <laughs> I don't know which one it's weirder to picture, Aerys to her, Tywin. <laughs> <laughs> Passing notes in class. But... <laughs> Meanwhile, though, news of the coronation would have spread, as he, and as he was 34 years old when crowned, surely it would be well known that Jaehaerys II was a sickly and unmartial king. That was common knowledge by then. To focus on this too much would be to underestimate him, but to the savage Maelys the Monstrous, who took control of the Golden Company through force, it may have seemed the perfect opportunity. He really seems like a man who emphasized strength over much. Though Maelys likely would have invaded anyway, still this may have given him and his allies more confidence. And when, when your allies have more confidence, they give you more support, which may be more money, more troops, more new allies that are invested in the war effort. Yeah, thanks, Summerhall, he may have said. <laughs> the Nine Penny Kings had landed in the Stepstones and were heading towards Westeros quickly. And the new king responded. Drawing on his father's plans, his grace put aside his grief, called his lord's bannermen, and resolved to meet the nine penny kings upon the stepstones, choosing to take the war to them, rather than awaiting their landing on the shores of the Seven Kingdoms. Now, along the way, uh, part of the war efforts, I suppose, he would have replaced those whatever members of the King's Guard killed at Summerhall. Though surely one or two would have remained to guard the new, few new surviving members of House Targaryen, except Prince Aerys, who was with Tywin and Stefan, and they fought in the war, uh, specifically. Again, though, given how dangerous the war was, we're going to guess that the Kingsguard stayed close to Aerys because there are so few Targaryens. Yeah. yeah, so the commander of the Westerosi armies was Hand of the King, Lord Ormond Baratheon, who was young Stefan's father and brother-in-law to the king, but he was killed by Maelys himself early in the war. The new, lord, the new young lord commander of the Kingsguard was Sir Gerald Hightower, who we all know, and he took over command of the Westerosi armies. So, one would expect that had he not died at Summerhall and Maylie still invaded, that this would have been Sir Duncan the Tall in command. <laughs> Dunk could have had a shot at taking down yet another Blackfire Rebellion. Yeah, he would be like the guy who like beat three, huh? at least three of the Blackfire Rebellion, <laughs> instead of only, you know, one and a half or two, depending on how you count it. But instead, it would be another future Lord Commander, Sir Barristan, who slew Maelys the Monstrous and ended the threat of the Nine Penny King's ambitions towards Westeros. Nice of Dunk to share the glory by dying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and making way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now this earned Barristan a spot in the King's Guard as well as in the history books. We suppose he replaced some other King's Guard killed on the Stepstones, but it's possible that Ares had just not finished naming new King's Guard when war broke out. Yeah, we have this notion because it seems like Barristan would have already been in the Kingsguard by then. It was a little puzzling to me when I noticed this. 
He was knighted at age 16 by King Aegon V himself. Uh, immediately after, Barristan won attorney that saw him defeat Duncan the Small and Duncan the Tall. And it was Duncan the Small who had given Barristan his nickname the Bold six years prior. Uh-huh. So the point is that King Jaehaerys knew who this guy was. He was uh-huh. a very high-profile, up-and-coming knight who uh-huh. had a, ties to the royal family through his deeds. So it was a little odd to me that he wasn't already in, in the King's Guard. There might be some reason for that. A conspicuous figure, Barristan was. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, Barristan plays a surprisingly important role in this episode as well, despite not having been at Summerhall. However, he was a witness to a lot of what came shortly after, and a few things that came before, such as the Marys, the Marys, the marriage. I made that mistake when practicing too. Marys of Ares, the marriage of Ares and Rayella, which he described to Danny as such. I saw your father and your mother wed as well. Forgive me, but there was no fondness there, and the realm paid dearly for that, my queen. Why did they wed if they did not love each other? Your grandsire commanded it. A woods witch had told him that the prince was, that was promised would be born of their line. A woods witch? Danny was astonished. Yeah, why wouldn't she be? <laughs> <laughs> I was astonished when I read that. Yeah. A major part of this, our summer hall coverage, is prophecy. And given that quote, it's pretty clear that Jaehaerys was a believer in such things if not a big believer in such things. Hmm. He may have also been a believer in the rebirth of dragons. Sounds a little optimistic or even crazy, but to be fair, the prophecies were right. The dragons did come back eventually. (laughs) Eventually. Now, we said Jaehaerys probably wasn't interested in his father's reforms, but as an intelligent man, he surely would have seen the value of dragons. Like many of his predecessors faced by war, they would know that many of these wars would never have been attempted had the Targaryens had dragons. Thus, it should be asked, was Jaehaerys overly traumatized or convinced by Summerhall to the point that the idea of hatching dragons was a lost cause to him? Or was it his belief in prophecy strong enough that he continued to believe? Now, his wife's influence would surely matter as the two married for love, but we know all too little about Queen Shara, Daenerys' only grandmother. <laughs> yeah, <awkward>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, other than that, she survived Summerhall. Yeah, also, we didn't even know her name. Until the world of Ice and That's true. It's, so, it's, it's so weird thinking about these incest families having one grandma, yeah. one grandmother, and one, yeah. you know, they have the exact Old same grandma. exact same bloodline. You know, yeah. there's no. It's so That's weird. Fierce. Anyway, it's quite possible that Jaehaerys would have continued with the hatching attempts, though maybe without so much wildfire. <laughs> but we'll never know. He yeah. died after a short reign of only about three years, and you know who took over next. Yeah. Part three, Ares ascends. Madness descends. <laughs> now, in terms of Summerhall, a lot of characters get talked about in the fandom, mostly Rhaegar and, of course, Duncan Egg. <laughs> but the character who may have been the most impacted is perhaps the least talked about in this regard, at, at least in this light, right? Because, in general, he's been discussed quite a bit, actually. Now, we're talking about the Mad King, obviously. Right. We're going to contend that Ares was deeply affected by Summerhall, and that it may have a lot to do with the man he became, particularly how much it had to do with his madness. First off, we're going to take a high-level look at PTSD and trauma. I never know where researching a topic is going to Hmm. take us, and this is pretty special going in this direction. I usually don't have to research outside of A Song of Ice and Fire. Without getting too complicated, though, uh, brain damage can occur when someone's stress levels exceed the brain and or body's thresholds to handle such things. This can cause extreme stress reactions long after the actual event and well after the literal danger has passed. The greater the amount the threshold is exceeded, the greater the potential for lasting harm and more severe damage. It's actually kind of straightforward, and you think about it. Put it another way, the bigger the trauma, the more likely there will be lasting harm. Same goes for having a weak mind <laughs> in the first place. And by the end, Ares was like this. 
Many of the accounts written of Harrenhal speak of his hysterical laughter, long silences, bouts of weeping, and sudden rages. Now, let's put that in context. The following is a list of PTSD symptoms taken directly from the Mayo Clinic's website. Doesn't sound like a very healthy clinic, yeah, does it? Yeah, too much mayonnaise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they heal everything uh -huh. with Mayo. <laughs> now, irritability, angry outbursts, or aggressive behavior. There's the sudden rages, and yeah. you needn't recount his actual violent aggressive yeah. behavior. Then we have always being on guard for danger. Well, we all know how paranoid he was. Now we have overwhelming guilt or shame, and there's the bouts of weeping we just described. So it yeah. all fits quite yeah. nicely. Now, on to other characters. Jenny of Old Stones may have survived and possibly gone mad herself. We don't know much about her and probably won't until very late in the Duncan Egg Tales, but she's a decent enough example as a parallel. Now, a line from Jenny's song tells us that... High in the halls of the kings who are gone, Jenny would dance with her ghosts. We should have had you sing that as well. <laughs> the first line refers to Old Stones itself. That's the halls of kings that are gone. It's a ruined former seat of House Mud, which is a first men line of kings. That, that part's easy to interpret. I see four distinct ways to interpret the second line, however. Not so easy. Yeah, could be that the ghosts specifically refer to Prince Duncan and the others who died at Summerhall, perhaps children that they may have had, as you speculated in the first episode. That's right. Or the ghost is a reference to the ghost of High Heart, pluralized and stylized because, hey, this is a song and singers, you know, they, that's what they do. The ghosts referred to here are something from before Summerhall is another possibility, which may mean she died there after all. And finally, the fourth possibility is the same, but instead of dying there, she made it out but was driven mad by these nebulous past events combined with the tragedy. What we mean there is that a prior history of mental illness or earlier separate traumas can significantly increase susceptibility to new traumas. So let's relate this to Aries again. Yes. So to account for why Aries' problems got worse as he got older, PTSD can have a late onset. The realm did quite well during his first decade plus of rule, after all. Uh, Aries went gradually mad, but it wasn't merely the passage of time. Rather, it was a few key events that really pushed him. Right. It were, there were these milestones along his life that, that just chipped away at his sanity. Let's go through a few of those things. But first, from the JAMA in 2013, the researchers concluded that people diagnosed with delayed PTSD tend to experience some form of mild traumatic brain injury during the events that trigger their post-traumatic stress. They also concluded that the experience of additional high-stress situations in the aftermath of a traumatic event can increase the impact of post-traumatic stress enough to push a person over the line into diagnosable delayed PTSD. So consider that as you consider how Aries suffered other traumas too. Notably, his wife's numerous stillbirths and miscarriages carriages. Surely these chipped away at his sanity as well. But the big one that we've known about for a while... Right. Captivity at Duskendale had shattered whatever sanity had remained to Ares II Targaryen. From that day forth, the king's madness reigned unchecked, growing worse with every passing year. That just sounds so funny. I'm sorry. Ares II Targaryen. <laughs> <laughs> Second one ever. <laughs> but uh, Ares had shown signs of losing it, so to speak, and was a terrible king, husband, father, and, well, person... <laughs> but of the cruelties and vile acts he committed, the worst came in these later years. The same goes for his obsession with fire. In the wake of Duskendale, the king also began to display signs of an ever-increasing obsession with dragonfire, similar to that which had haunted several of his forebears. His attitude was similar to his grandfather. Lord Darkland would never have dared defy him if he had been a dragon rider, Ares reasoned. His attempts to bring forth dragons from eggs found in the depths of Dragonstone, some so old that they had turned to stone, yielded naught, however. Of course, that didn't work either. 
shocking. <laughs> but at least the Red Keep didn't burn to the ground. <laughs> it's very interesting to see that Ares still kept the Dream of Dragons going. Shows how stubborn the Targs were in the face of failure there, or how much they believed in the prophecies, or a little combination of both. We don't know anything of, of these attempts by Ares, though, as an aside, that passage almost certainly reveals where Illyrio got the eggs he gave to Danny, you know, through Varys, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Frustrated, Ares turned to the wisdoms of the ancient guild of alchemists who knew the secret of producing the volatile jade-green substance known as wildfire, said to be a close cousin to Dragonflame. So Ares was either, either so far gone that it didn't matter, or he didn't blame them for what happened at Summerhall. Either way... The pyromancers became a regular fixture at his court as the king's fascination with fire grew. So Duskendale triggered or enhanced his PTSD, and soon after he turned to wildfire, becoming obsessed with it, and eventually with using it on people. That fits perfectly, George. You devious bastard. It was right there all along, these things about Ares. It's really cool. I mean, this, is, this goes to show the value of rereading. There's just yeah. always more to find. I just, just really <laughs> just never ending. And, and this has been in front of us the whole time. Ares also liked to have them make wildfire jars in the shape of fruit, but I'm not really sure how to interpret that one. <laughs> Sounds <We're>, pretty sexual. <laughs> yeah, <it might> be. <laughs> we are not the first to note that Ares or even Rhaegar showed PTSD symptoms such as Rhaegar's depression, nor is this limited to those two. Yeah, astute members of the fandom have pointed to such symptoms in a wide variety of characters in A Song of Ice and Fire. We take this to mean that it is intentional and something George is specifically aiming to be humanly realistic about. Some of these are obvious, like Theon. I mean, in fact, he might be the most obvious. Probably. <laughs> but Cersei, Arya, Sandor, Tyrion, even Aaron Dampere is troubled by a recurring dream. The sound came softly, the scream of a rusted hinge. Uri, he muttered, and woke fearful. There is no hinge here, no door, no Uri. Though he has only a few chapters, he thinks of the screaming hinge five times. Five. And Ares POV would be frightening to behold. <laughs> Such crazy. <laughs> Much cruel. <laughs> now to be clear, PTSD doesn't make people insane. It doesn't make people cruel either. Ares had these proclivities to begin with, it, at least to some degree as well as a weak mind on top of all of it. Trauma didn't create the worst of his personality traits. It may not have created any of them, but it certainly contributed to his loss of empathy, his loss of self-control, probably his grip on reality, something you never had a strong sense of in the first place. Yeah, think of someone with addiction problems that relapses after, say, the death of someone close. It's a common enough anecdote. That death didn't create the addiction for our example person, but it did crush their willpower that they were relying on to avoid temptation and backsliding. So it's like a double whammy. He was born with issues and then had more inflicted on him during his life. And then the effect is even greater because of his youth at the time. I mean, we all know that the younger we are, the more impressionable we tend to be. So Ares was a father and a prince, yeah, but only around 15. Yeah, so Summerhall is the key to understanding why Ares gradually went mad. All the traumas he suffered later in life as an adult reopened the mental wounds he suffered at Summerhall as a young man. Much of this manifested in the form of paranoia. He trusted almost no one, excepting the pyromancers and the Kingsguard. His trust for them stands in such stark contrast to his general paranoia that I suspect there's more to it. I mean, the guy wouldn't even let a barber near him. His hair and nails grew out of control, yet the swords of the Kingsguard didn't bother him. Yeah, I mean, how does a paranoid guy forget the danger to himself, like in the case of Jamie's addition to the Kingsguard? Right. Even after realizing the danger after the fact, he still wound up keeping Jamie by his side constantly, even during the rebellion. From a storytelling point of view, this worked out nicely, since... A king has no secrets from his Kingsguard. Plus, he tells us... 
Ares liked to keep me close. I was my father's son, so he did not trust me. He wanted me where Varys could watch me day and night. So I heard it all. So Jamie gives us lots of great insight into Ares, and so does Barristan. And by the end of the episode, Jamie will get some attention of his own, too. So even after the Mad King got it into his head that people were poisoning his babies and were sleeping with his wife, causing all of his stillbirths and miscarriages, he still trusted the Kingsguard. With young Viserys, there was this quote. Kingsguard knights were commanded to stand over him night and day to see that no one touched the boy without the king's leave. Now, you might be thinking Ser Barristan was a major player in Ares' trust, but this was prior to the defiance of Duskendale. Right. My favorite way to explain why Ares' paranoia seems blind to the Kingsguard is also related, surprise, to Summerhall. Instead of heroism of Barristan the Bold, it may have been the heroism of Sir Duncan the Tall and his general closeness to Aegon the Unlikely. Yeah, Ares would have grown up knowing about his grandfather's days as Egg, wandering the Seven Kingdoms with Dunk. Ser Duncan saved Aegon's life many times and put down at least two different rebellions by defeating someone important in single combat. In general, Dunk was ultra-loyal to his king and former squire. He also died at Summerhall, and the fragment from Archmaester Gildane reveals that Ser Duncan showed conspicuous bravery in the face of the conflagration. Surely Ares would have heard this, and he probably saw some of it himself. Possibly he saw other Kingsguard die apart from Dunk during the event as well. This could easily be something that left a deep impression of its own. Whatever the reasons, though, he seemed to trust the Kingsguard more than his own family, even. Ares eventually grew to mistrust Rhaegar. Which brings us to this. There's an aspect of Summerhall that is unique to him and his sister-wife, which makes the whole thing, well, conflicted. The vast majority of us can't comprehend the loss Ares and the other survivors must have felt. That's hard enough to grasp. But only he and his sister-wife felt what must have been the ultimate pinnacle of mixed feelings. Right, this is really heavy here. To, to most everyone, Summerhall was a tragedy, a disaster, or whatever other negative adjectives you want to come up with. There are a wide variety to choose from, of course. But to Ares and Rayella, it was also what is typically and understandably a once-in-a-lifetime moment of joy for the vast majority of humanity for all time. The birth of their firstborn child. In this case, a son, which in patriarchal Westeros is greatly preferred, especially for a royal family short on heirs. Simply put, Rhaegar's birth creates a strange positive association with what would otherwise be pure horror. Is there any connection to this? Relations between Ares and his queen had been strained during the last years of his reign. They slept apart and did their best to avoid each other during the waking hours. But whenever Ares gave a man to the flames, Queen Rhaella would have a visitor in the night. So he sees someone die screaming from wildfire, and it reminds him of making babies. Or something. It's an interesting possibility. By interesting, you mean disturbing. <laughs> and it yeah, gets worse. It does get worse. The day he burned his mason dagger hand, Jamie and John Derry had stood at guard outside her bedchamber whilst the king took his pleasure. You're hurting me, they had heard Rhaella cry through the oaken door. You're hurting me. In some queer way, that had been worse than Lord Chelstead's screaming. We are sworn to protect her as well, Jamie had finally been driven to say. We are, Derry allowed, but not from him. Jamie had only seen Rayella once after that, the morning of the day she left for Dragonstone. The queen had been cloaked and hooded as she climbed inside the royal wheelhouse that would take her down Aegon's high hill to the waiting ship. But he heard her maids whispering after she was gone. They said the queen looked as if some beast had savaged her clawing at her thighs and chewing on her breasts. A crowned beast, Jamie knew. Yeah. So as an aside, this is the last time that Ares and Rhaella saw each other, and given Ares regularly slept with her those days, this incident 
was likely the night Daenerys was conceived. Mm-hmm. Not so great. Not so great. Soon, Jamie would be the only one guarding the king, as Sir John Derry left with Sir Barristan, Prince Lewin Martell, and Prince Rhaegar for the Battle of the Trident, and, you know, mm. most of them didn't come back. Yes. Okay, real quick, a shout-out for Lady Guinevar's Queensguard, commanded by Maester David, once and future queen. Mm. He is our latest addition to our Patreon sellsword captains, who has gone in a little slightly different direction, which... Is certainly okay. You guys, when you choose a Patreon title, you're welcome to be very creative with it, do what you want, and change basically whatever we've said there. Those are mostly just guidelines. Mm-hmm. Also, so um, yeah, he, so he, he, he certainly did. He certainly did. <laughs> and that's Lady Guinevere of, of yeah, Radio Westeros, Westeros yeah. of course. So there you go. There's an ad for Radio Westeros embedded in that uh, that that um, ad there. <laughs> ad and within an ad, within an ad. No. Um, also, folks, remember to shop at Amazon through historyofwesteros.com. Right now, pre-ordering The Night of the Seven Kingdoms seems particularly appropriate. That'll We're be illustrated. About it a lot. If, if, you don't, if you weren't aware, that's an illustrated edition with all three of the Dunkin' Egg stories, illustrated by Gary Gianni, and some of the art has been released already. It looks really good. Really yeah, good. so highly recommend that. You're going to want to get your hands on it, especially because I know some people out there said it's kind of hard to find some of the early Dunkin' Eggs these days. That's so. a little hassle. You have to, like, get them all separate. Yeah, and a lot of times you have to buy them used or secondhand, and a lot of those get snapped up, and some people sell them for ridiculous prices. <sighs> so this is uh, – I'm glad that they're – yeah. fixing that problem for the fandom. So that'll be out in October. Easier. you got plenty of time. Exactly. All right. You can also get someone started. That's one of our favorite things to do. My recommendation, you've got a friend that you know who, who's talking about reading the books. They've, maybe they've watched the show. Go go on our site. Go through Amazon and just send them the book. Send them the first book. Just send yeah. them Game of Thrones. Have it arrive at their at their door. That's <laughs> like five or six dollars. That's about yeah, it, right? Yes. Anyway, all right. Let's move on. Let's go to part four. Dragons in the shadow. No, not a shy. I wish we had info on that. <laughs> These are figurative dragons, as in the ones outside the spotlight. Now, after all that airy stuff, I actually do feel some pity for him. Not much, especially after the <laughs> Rayala bit and quote we just went through. But as a character, he's at least a little gray now, which is, you know, the essence of A Song of Ice and Fire. Characters are rarely black and white. Even the vile characters like Ares and Joffrey and Ramsay have some... Something in them that's just, it, they, ha- they have real issues. Yeah, there's something uh, that m- made them the way they are. Yeah. It's not just random, they're not just random evil tyrants. Yeah. And right. those are like the darkest characters I can think of. Even Gregor has like these splitting migraines, you know, just a regular thing. So the insane, cruel, tyrannical king is just too much of a trope for George to overuse. And I think, Anne, as I think we've shown, Ares is indeed way more complicated than he first appeared. Yeah, his madness, it's like it has its own origin story. And it checks out as believable, at least from, from where we're sitting. I, I, I love it, even though, I mean, I wouldn't love it if it was real. <laughs> but I, I love how realistic it is. Realistic. <laughs> so let's look at the other Targaryens impacted by Summerhall. We're saving Rhaegar for last. So now we turn to two people who were very important in his life and on their own. His mother, Rhaella, is first, and hers was an incredibly tragic life. It's easy to drive this point home by noting that she suffered through everything Ares did, plus having to be married to him. Yeah, right. <laughs> On top of it. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, there's more. <laughs> this particular fictional character really got the short end of the proverbial stick from the all powerful George R. R. Martin. <sighs> Let's enumerate and or reiterate some of these items, uh, which mm-hmm. some of which we've gone through already because we went through them with Ares and they yeah. affect her the same way. Uh, analyzing her requires a different approach than what we did with Ares and what we'll do with Rhaegar because 
we just don't know as much about her. We know these details, but we don't know as much about how they impacted her because she's hardly ever on screen. She doesn't have many lines. So yep. being married to Ares, at the time, it wasn't the worst thing for a princess slash queen given how common it was yeah. and also because he wasn't such a bad guy back then. A loveless political marriage is, is not a great thing, but it's certainly not unusual either. Yeah. But obviously, while loveless might describe the early stages of their marriage, the latter stages, not so much. The adjectives would become more negative and severe over time, like mm. Ares's madness. Yeah, there was the issue of that sexual violence, of course, and yeah. there was the absurd hypocrisy over the issue of the many stillbirths and miscarriages. Check this out. Relations between the king and queen grew even more strained when Rayella proved unable to give Ares any further children. Miscarriages in 263 and 264 were followed by a stillborn daughter born in 267. Prince Daron, born in 269, survived for only half a year. Then came another stillbirth in 270, another miscarriage in 271, and Prince Aegon, born two turns premature in 272, dead in 273. Now that's a lot of death. That is a lot of death. Even for a medieval setting where, you know, a lot of babes die in the cradle, that is still way above average. I could have stopped like halfway through there and you would have been like, that's a lot of death. Yeah, so that's already a reason to like mess with someone's head and to cause like permanent trauma and yeah. damage. But this comes after greater traumas have already happened. So yeah. sure, but surely Rayella was just as saddened, if not more saddened than he was. Yeah, we're told Ares was kind and comforting with the first few, but eventually he began to blame her and accuse her of infidelity, basically locking her in a queen vault, that's what you're going to call it. <laughs> queen vault, yeah. But of course, Ares was the cheater in that relationship. It's yeah. really incredible, this hypocrisy. Yeah. Uh, are you sure you feel pity for him? Challenge, I admit, but... <laughs> no, I do too, a little bit. Yeah. Is it possible that the events of Summerhall, elements of the ritual itself... Did some kind of damage to her? Eh, it's possible. The picture is strange when you look at it closely, which is kind of why exploring out-of-the-box ideas is appropriate. Here's what we mean. Rayella got pregnant many times. Yep. Ares slept around a lot. See where we're going with this? Shouldn't he have some bastards? Right? Some? We know of none, <laughs> nor of any plots to wipe them out if they did exist. I mean, the only one we know of, like, like maybe Tyrion is, and that's like, maybe, that's one. Maybe, yeah. And, you know, you think, that's a maybe, and you think there'd be at least a few for sure. Yeah, and you can't really think that someone like Varys was going on and wiping them out, <laughs> because he didn't, he clearly didn't do, he did the opposite with Robert's oh, bastards. Yeah. He, like, took care of them and, huh. like... Gave them gifts and, you know. Yeah, whatever. well, I, I didn't care too much about the Baratheon threat, maybe. That's true. It's, it's, you're right. It's possible, threat, he, it's possible. It's possible Varus is the reason why there were no Targaryen bastards from Ares. But yeah. still, not even, but, a peep, not even a peep, a hint. Yeah. So maybe Rayella wasn't harmed after all by Summerhall. In other words, it's possible that the, the wildfire, the magic ritual, messed with her womb somehow. But I think actually the evidence might more point to Ares being the one that was messed up. Yeah. Or both of them. Yeah, or yeah, they both were impacted because they're child of incest and they just got the bad, the short end. Yeah, so stick, there's, too much, there's too much confounding but, data to be sure. But. Yeah, I, I think it points to me more towards, yeah, Ares having some sort of issue. Yeah. Uh, but anyways. Next up, as with Ares, Rayella witnessed Summerhall and the death of many loved ones and family. And also, like him, she probably has really conflicted feelings about the event as and the mixed feelings of tragedy and her firstborn son's birth coming together. And then, to top it off, she had to witness her husband cease to get along with her son and reject baby Rhaenys and Elia both. And Rayella loved Rhaenys, we know that much. Yeah, we wonder if her mother, Shara, was around. We, she almost certainly lived past Jaehaerys. I mean, he died young, and we know she lived through Summerhall, so... 
But how deep into Ares's reign she lived is completely unknown and without even small hints. So we, we, if there's a hint out there for her being around, we haven't found it. So we really just have no idea. Ultimately, we know a lot that a lot of bad things happened to Riella, but we don't hear anything about her breaking or going mad like her brother husband. So I guess you could say she was tougher, the tougher of the two. Like, that's pretty yeah. straightforward. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that is straightforward. Either, she was tougher, yeah. But that said, her per personality is still just... Not even just large mysteries, mostly a mystery, yeah. Yeah. And almost entirely. One safe bet as far as the length of her life, though, is that it, <laughs> she didn't live as long as Maester Aemon. That's pretty clear. He fits the description of a dragon in the shadow quite well with his black robes and oath to abandon the family name. Yeah, but his relationship with his family didn't vanish, and he clearly corresponded with Rhaegar and surely his brother the king as well. Aegon's kids knew him. They had all been born before he went to the Wall. And Egg's daughter, Rael, called him un Uncle Maester, Uncle which is Maester. real cute. <laughs> but we have no idea of his reaction to Summerhall, other than the predictable. Obviously, he wasn't happy about it. Yeah. That's so funny to think about that it was little, that was Stannis's grandma, <laughs> grandma calling, calling, it, calling him that. It's just, it's just and funny. then Stannis shows up at the wall, up, like, I remember uh, <laughs> your mother calling me uh, Uncle Maester. Uh, yeah, well, your, uh, <laughs> Before you think about your burning me. Your grandmother, that's what he, that's what, but, yeah, your grandmother, right. That's what, when John <laughs> sent him off, he should have been like, look, this guy's not going to burn me. <laughs> I knew his grandmother. Yeah, I was like, okay, but I don't think you know Stannis very well. He doesn't care. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We have, like, like we said, we have no idea of his reaction to Summerhall other than the predictable. And to be clear, when Aemon says to John that three times his vows were tested, this apparently was not one of them. After all, what would the test be? No one was going to offer him the crown again, and there was nothing Aemon could do about the tragedy after the fact. Yeah, the first and second tests Aemon relates to John have him as a boy and then as a grown man. And he was old when Summerhall burned, like in his early 60s. I mean, Egg was 59 and Aemon was older than Aegon, I think by, I forget how many years, but a few years. Uh, so, but whatever he, he clearly still believed in some of the ancient prophecies, like many of his kin, despite what happened at Summerhall. So whatever the role prophecy played in the event, didn't turn him off from the other ones either, just like it yeah. didn't turn off Ares, didn't seem to turn off Jaehaerys. Uh, there was an egg in his cradle, too, you know. So he yeah. kind of grew up with this idea of, of dragons and everything. So prophecy, again, showing itself to be the proverbial sword with no hilt. Yeah, here's the maester himself revealing how he and Rhaegar cut their hands, so to speak, not once, but multiple times. It was a prince that was promised, not a princess. Rhaegar, I thought, the smoke was from the fire that devoured Summerhall on the day of his birth, the salt from the tears shed for those who died. He shared my belief when he was young, but later he became persuaded that it was his own son who fulfilled the prophecy, for a comet had been seen above King's Landing on the night Aegon was conceived, and Rhaegar was certain the bleeding star had to be a comet. What fools we were who thought ourselves so wise. As usual with prophecies, he was part right, but you can't really afford to miss with these things. Right. Yeah. You cannot afford to miss with these things at all. So, let's move on to part five. Rhaegar, who thought himself so wise. There was a melancholy to Prince Rhaegar, a sense... The old man hesitated again. <laughs> Say it, she urged. A sense? Of doom. He was born in grief, my queen, and that shadow hung over him all his days. Viserys had spoken of Rhaegar's birth only once. Perhaps the tale saddened him too much. It was the shadow of Summerhall that haunted him, was it not? Yes. And yet Summerhall was the place the prince loved best. Now, it's not nearly as severe, 
But having a mixed view of Summerhall is similar to how his father and mother felt. Mm-hmm. Rhaegar probably knew that, and it may have added to his own melancholy. Yeah, or at least to his confusion, or just his general, you know, con- feeling about the whole situation. More severe, however, than perhaps any of his ancestors, Rhaegar was ruled by prophecy. The except prophecy, for Danies. Yeah, except for Danies, <laughs> that's true, but she was right. Yeah. <laughs> Rhaegar had seriously had the prophecy bug, and the more we look at it, the more he just... Just went with it without yeah. much evidence or data to back it up. Uh-huh. He just really jumped to some cl- conclusions. <laughs> now, we can't possibly cover Rhaegar or the prince that was promised without standalone episodes, but we can very much take a look at how Summerhall played a role. Yeah, Rhaegar was clearly a somewhat depressed guy, though we hear words like melancholy here, which softens it, I think a little unfairly. He may have been seriously depressed, the way I see it. Yeah, uh, he seems passionate, but joyless. There's no, I can't think of any of the times we hear about Rhaegar where he was like smiling or happy. <laughs> Nothing <sighs> like that. He was just a really just like <laughs> seriously uh, gothy type dude. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> no, but he seemed, he, he, yeah, he was determined but illogical also. He needed yeah. some kind of mentor I think but yeah. I guess Arthur Dane and company either bought into his beliefs or saw challenging them as disloyal. Either way, he did believe he was trying to save the world, and he was very charismatic, so a lot of people went along with him. Mm -hmm. In this, there's irony, because in a lot of ways, Summerhall is a microcosm for how Rhaegar, with plenty of help from Dad, lit the realm on fire. Will you make a song for him? The woman asked. He has a song, the man replied. He is the prince that was promised, and his is the song of ice and fire. So I know this is a vision seen by Danny, but come on, man. That's some serious assuming. Right? (laughs) The prophecy said the prince would be born of the line of Jaehaerys and Cher. Why this particular kid, Rhaegar? Why are you so (laughs) sure it's that one? (laughs) But this is a guy who thought he himself was the prince that was promised at first. So he's made a bit of a pattern of these jumps of logic here. Uh, But there's also a larger mystery here that I want to point out as well. Of all the references to the prince that was promised in the books, this is the only time Ice and Fire is connected to it. Yeah, we're not really sure where Rhaegar got the idea or if his ancestors, or say, Maester Aemon, saw it that way. So without thinking too much about the timeline, it's tempting to see Rhaegar's choice of Lyanna as having something to do with this whole aspect of the prophecy. But remember that he named his own Aegon the prince that was promised, as shown in this vision, after meeting Lyanna. So, that's right. The tourney of Hall had already happened. So, to be clear, he meets her, names her queen of love and beauty, <laughs> then goes back to King's Landing for the birth of his son, Aegon, who he calls immediately the prince that was promised, who somehow represents ice and fire uh, in the same regard. I don't know how that is. So, that calls into question somewhat the idea that Rhaegar specifically needed Lyanna because of who she was, i.e. by having a Stark-slash-Northern blood as part of the prophecy, because he already named this Aegon... As the prince that was promised. That's it's weird. I don't it get it. It doesn't check out. Yeah, it's very weird, other than Daenerys' vision is wrong. Something. Yeah, yeah, that's another possibility. Remember, like, that view comes from the House of the Undying. Yeah, or House it's of like Undying, wrong, yeah. and he's talking about John and not Aegon. And that. I, I don't know, that's weird. It's Which just weird. Rhaegar was, wasn't there for the birth of John either. Yeah, so, yeah uh, you're right. That's like weird. Uh, it's. Yes, it would be a so weird. It would be a weird mind trick for them to play on her. It doesn't. It's a mind trick on the reader. Yeah, so not that, the fact that it's a vision is the one thing that keeps us from being really confused. Yeah. But that is definitely when you're thinking about the whole Rhaegar Lyanna business. That's a big thing to keep in mind. That I think a lot of times slips through the cracks. Yeah. So whatever the truth of his relationship with Lyanna, the PR was 
everyone agrees, pretty terrible. Uh, horrible. Yeah. Non-existent. Uh, and though it may be fair to say that war wasn't a reasonable expectation after them despairing, maybe not. I think it was very reasonable. I think it was unreasonable to not expect war. He knew what kind of man his father was for sure, and he knew at least a little about the hot-headed Brandon Stark. Yeah, he saw Brandon's reaction yeah. when he named Lyanna he knew something. Queen of Love and Beauty at the at Harrenhal. So. Lyanna doesn't say anything. It's... Anyway, the best you can say is, well, Rhaegar may have had good intentions and was entirely willing to take on risk while his father was a coward who thought mostly of himself and how his barber was planning to kill him. (laughs) Also, Rhaegar himself. He thought Rhaegar was planning to overthrow him, and he wasn't wrong, probably. Now, Ares feared his own son, eventually. Uh, Some were not exactly sure when that developed, but it certainly developed at some point. Uh, something we didn't. This is something we didn't know a whole lot about before the World of Ice and Fire. It was something that was kind of hinted at, but in the World of Ice and Fire, it's outright stated. Yeah. What we did know was expanded on majorly, and has now become quite compelling. Yeah, this is true for many of Rhaegar's relationships. He won people over in a variety of ways: with charm, blood, his noble bearing. You know, often his music. Rhaegar's musical talent was channeled towards sad songs, mm-hmm. a reflection of his personality and history. He would go there from time to time with only his harp for company. Even the knights of the Kingsguard did not attend him there. He liked to sleep in the ruined hall beneath the moon and stars, and whenever he came back, he would bring a song. When you heard him play his high harp with the silver strings and sing of twilights and tears and the death of kings, you could not but feel that he was singing of himself and those he loved. So you have to wonder if it's possible that Rhaegar met the ghost of High Heart in the ruins of Summerhall. She might shun the place to be sure, but perhaps she would want to go and pay homage to the dead, expecting to be alone only to hear a high heart playing sad songs. <laughs> the dwarf prophet does have a strong love of sad music, as we've seen. It's also possible that he they might not have met at Summerhall, somewhere else. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's possible, too, that he was in the Riverlands or something like that. That's a good point. Um, but I, Summerhall is much more of an evocative image, certainly. Yeah. It's very true. Now, Rhaegar's friends in the Kingsguard were clearly ultra-devoted to him, and perhaps to the prophecy of the prince that was promised as well, at least (sighs) Rhaegar's version of it, (laughs) (laughs) seeing as how they were at the Tower of Joy guarding a child of (laughs) Rhaegar and not seeking out Viserys, who would have been Aerys' heir. We've no hint that they told him that, hey, maybe you're going a bit too far with this, Rhaegar. Alternatively, did those wildfire fumes mess with your fragile infant brain? (laughs) Is that why you have no sense of humor whatsoever, (laughs) Mr. Rhaegar? (laughs) Now, it's it's actually kind of amusing that one of the few guys with clout who would not have been a fan of Rhaegar's prophecy beliefs is the Grand Maester. But this is a relationship that is a bit unclear to us, Prince Rhaegar and Pycelle, that is. We know Rhaegar corresponded with Maester Aemon, who was open-minded about the supernatural, but Pycelle does not seem to be so open-minded about about the supernatural. (laughs) No, he did seem to know a lot about Ares, though, and that gives us some of the detail we've used today. Ares was actually good for Pycelle's career, as odd as that sounds. In retrospect, it actually looks kind of good for him to have survived the Mad King's reign. I mean, Ares had so many counselors and lords put to death at whim. I think it looks bad for him to have survived. But, you know, I mean, seeing seeing how he handled Joffrey... We can guess that he was one of those, you know, flatterer, lickspittle types. You know, he's like, oh, yes, a great fire, King Aries. <laughs> well, well lit there. Yeah, well lit. And so, you know, that's not likely the kind of man that Ari, that Rhaegar would call friend or ally. It's true. Ari, uh, he did call Joffrey the noblest king yeah. who ever lived I would love whatever. to hear something <laughs> Pycelle had to say about Ares. Oh, God. What would he call him? Like, such a, he, his, his glory burns bright. Yeah. He's the <laughs> 
handsomest, they say, which is like, <laughs> the most well-groomed king. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, so, again, with the whole thing about Rhaegar, even though he may have not thought so highly of this whole prophecy thing, he, with that lickspittle-ish personality, he, uh-huh. he wasn't likely to say bad things about the prince, who yeah. he would have expected to become king at some point. Yeah, yeah. So, That's he's it. not going to shoot himself in the foot, you know? <laughs> so, uh, Pycelle is good as a witness in a few spots. Yeah, and he also kind of maybe exaggerates his own involvement. Here's a good uh-huh. quote. In a letter to the Citadel, Pycelle wrote that the divisions within the Red Keep reminded him uncomfortably of the situation before the Dance of Dragons a century before. When the enmity between Queen Allison and Princess Rhaenyra had split the realm in two to grievous cost. A similarly bloody conflict might await the Seven Kingdoms once again, he warned, unless some accord could be reached that would satisfy both Prince Rhaegar's supporters and the kings. But of course, this civil war never happened. Instead, a different one did, one that Pycelle didn't see coming. I mean, not his fault, it came on quickly and spread unpredictably. Like wildfire. (laughs) Now one day we will cover Robert's Rebellion, but you know all the high points already. What you might not know, or what you may have forgotten, or not realized how important it was, comes next. Now, The World of Ice and Fire, again, is available on audiobook. This is a great time to get it, because you can get it for free through Audible. Audible trial on historyofwesteros.com allows you 30 days with one free download without having to pay. If you don't like it, you can cancel it and keep the free book. If you do like it... It's a lot more than audiobooks. There's lots of different entertainment. There's educational material, language learning. It's really becoming a big thing in general. The, the, the rise of audio entertainment is a great thing. Obviously, if you're listening to podcasts, you kind of know what we're talking about. And you can lay back with your arm on a dragon egg while listening <laughs> to <laughs> Roy Dotrice talk about the history of Westeros. And it's a great time. I've done that myself. I don't know how many times I've listened to the book already, but many times. <laughs> Part six, The Mad King's Revenge. Summerhall. The word was fraught with doom. And that's Danny's perception of it. Danny thinks that Summerhall is fraught with doom. She didn't know her family save Viserys, and he likely knew little about Summerhall. He was, he, he was born, what, 18, 17 years later after it. Still, the perception remains partly through Barristan, but not entirely. Yeah, you, I have to wonder if Danny's arc will possibly take her there. Will she have a chapter in the ruins of Summerhall? Will someone else? Hmm. Young Griff looks to take hold of the Stormlands, and so it will likely be in his possession soon. Yeah, imagine the symbology of him taming one of Danny's dragons, somehow gone rogue or whatever the circumstances, yeah. in the ruins of Summerhall. That would fulfill the destiny that Young Griff may have thought belonged to him. That's pretty cool. Huh. But it's also probably kind of crackpot, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but it's cool. It's yeah, cool. It's cool. Especially like if he's actually a Blackfire, right? Yeah. A Blackfire taming a dragon in a place that once tasted the blood of Targaryens. <laughs> That's a metal way to put it. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> As we've said, the sister location to Summerhall is the Water Gardens. So, of course, I'm very worried that the fate of Summerhall foreshadows something tragic happening there, which is really hard to think about. Yeah, destroyed by a dragon, perhaps. That would be ironic. Built for a Targaryen whose marriage to dorms symbolized peace. Destroyed by a Targaryen dragon. Nah. Yeah. Now, the last location we're going to deal with is King's Landing, and the last character, Jaime. 
It's funny, Ares was 15 when the impact of Summerhall hit, and Jamie was around 15 when the impact of Ares hit. <laughs> Which one was rougher enough? I gotta guard this guy, Jamie must have been thinking. Uh, no wonder Jamie was so flippant about his vows. I mean, <laughs> this guy, he was such terrible, like, his whole life. We brought up Jamie standing guard over Ares when he raped Rayella, and how his violent lust was fueled by having burned his own hand of the king earlier in the day. But we didn't remind you of why Ares burned this Lord Chelstead. It was because Lord Chelstead objected to this. He remembered how Rosart's eyes would shine when he unrolled his maps to show where the substance must be placed. Now, Rosart was the head pyromancer, and Ares' hand replacing Chelstead for a very short time. Before Jamie killed him, of course. <laughs> right. So now we have this quote. The traitors want my city, I heard him tell Rossart, but I'll give them naught but ashes. Let Robert be king over charred bones and cooked meat. The Targaryens never bury their dead. They burn them. Ares meant to have the greatest funeral pyre of them all. Though if truth be told, I do not believe he truly expected to die. Like Arian Brightflame before him, Ares thought the fire would transform him, that he would rise again, reborn, as a dragon, and turn all his enemies to ash. His grace commanded his alchemists to place caches of wildfire all over King's Landing, beneath Baylor's Sept and the hovels of Flea Bottom, under stables and storehouses, at all seven gates, even in the cellars of the Red Keep itself. Everything was done in the utmost secrecy by a handful of master pyromancers. They did not even trust their own acolytes to help. The queen's eyes had been closed for years, and Rhaegar was busily marshalling an army. Yep, that's uh, ominous, to say the least. <laughs> uh, so we conclude the main portion of this episode with an eerie reminder and the main reason we called this part the Mad King's Revenge. While one Lannister brother says he hunted down the pyromancers and forced them to reveal the caches of wildfire, we saw through the other Lannister brother that his sibling didn't get them all. For instance, there's the guy who unwittingly channeled Arian Brightflame here. Another cache of Lord Rossart's was found, more than 300 jars, under the dragon pit. Some horrors have been using the ruins to entertain their patrons, and one of them fell through a patch of rotted floor into a cellar. When he felt the jars, he mistook them for wine. He was so drunk he broke the seal and drank some. It's crazy. But that's not <laughs> the only case like this. And much of the stock we made for Ares was lost. Only last year, 200 jars were discovered in a storeroom beneath the Great Sept of Baelor. No one could recall how they came there, but I'm sure I do not need to tell you that the High Septon was beside himself with terror. No one could recall, eh? Because Jamie killed the only guy or guys who knew. That was Helene talking, telling us all this. And he wasn't a master back then, so he wasn't privy to those secrets. We were just told that only the masters knew where the secret caches were. Rossart seems to have been a little crazy himself. <laughs> uh, two peas in a psychopod, he and Ares. Yeah. <laughs> he may have taken, Rossart may have taken extra steps to ensure that the king's orders were carried out by being really devious and secretive about these wildfire stashes. We've just given two examples of that. Now, what have we told you many times in the history of History of Westeros podcast, Meta? When George R. R. Martin drops the same hint twice, this matters. There is still some of Ares's wildfire hidden in King's Landing. I'm confident. It's also more dangerous than it sounds. Yeah. I don't know how the dude in the in-thinking wildfire was wine. Green I don't know wine. how that worked. But there's one thing they have in common. 
meaning wildfire and wine. Yeah. They get better with age. According to Helene, they are... Riper, now more than ever, if you take my meaning. We have sealed them with wax and pumped the lower vault full of water. But even so, by rights they ought to have been destroyed. But so many of our masters were murdered during the sack of King's Landing. The few acolytes who remained were unequal to the task. I'll, let me tell you, I hear a very silly voice for Helene, like a comically villainous voice in my head. And when I was practicing, I did it so well. But I knew that I couldn't keep a straight face if I ever tried to do a voice in this podcast. So um, Roy Dotrice's voice yeah. for Helene is pretty funny too. Yeah, I bet. So his, all of his voices are funny. I, I definitely I picture a Roy Dotrice type voice, like it's like a wizened old man saying this gross thing. But anyway, it's pretty pretty yeah kind of startling to find out that the, long, the longer wildfire sits there, the more dangerous it becomes. And it's already been sitting there for 7 to 18 years. Yeah. And we know it's gain in potency because yeah, of exactly. magic coming back into the world. Oh, yeah. So what if Daenerys' dragons fight in or above the capital and a shot of dragon flame hits the right or wrong spot? <laughs> yeah, wrong, depending on how you look uh -huh. at it, right? Or just a regular old battle. And unlike when Stannis tried, this time armies fight within the city. Burn. Burn. No. With, uh, I was just making a joke. Cause you said that. I'm like, when <laughs> oh, Stannis burn. fought, you'd burn. <laughs> A torch in the wrong place might be all it takes for the Battle of the Blackwater or Summerhall to itself to just like some funny colored campfire yeah. compared to King's Landing itself awashed in unquenchable emerald flame. <laughs> now, by looking at Ares was shaped, how Rhaegar responded, and what befell them both, we see how the past can haunt the future. The shadow of Summerhall looms over Westeros still, and the flames that destroyed it so long ago may yet ignite again. And none of the characters are going to see it coming, but you will. Now, stay tuned past the credits for a short after-episode chat. We're going to talk a little bit more about dragon eggs right here, <laughs> uh, pyromancers, Summerhall art, and toss out a few random facts. Yeah. First, though, thanks to uh, all the... We got a great response to our request for help with video and editing and lighting advice. Yeah. Too many people to name here, but a lot of you gave really fantastic advice that we're processing. And as soon as we start making use of a lot of that... We're going to certainly send out more thanks and shout-outs for the people that gave us such great help. But we appreciate just the people that took the time to contact us, to send us advice, and to spend the time uh, doing that for us. So, big appreciation. Also, thanks to people who helped with this episode. Yoke Boy of Radio Westeros. Uh, Nina Friel from Wars and Politics of A Song of Ice and Fire blog. I'm sorry, Wars and Politics of, of, ice, and of ice and Fire. I always do yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Rainy Stargaryen, Queen of Timelines, who helped us with some stuff in this episode, as usual. Mm -hmm. Thanks again to Lord James of the Chicken Song and the Chicken Dance, who has been providing us with lots of support as well. And now to our Patreon credits. Thanks to First Lord Cash Craig, Hand of the King and Lord of Mines. Hmm. I'm going to give, I'm going to start giving him a rotating title because he's got so many good ones. Lord Jim, the fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog. Damn it, get it right. <laughs> Lord George Stormsville, the cunning Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Lord John Reed of Castle Woodbridge, the Lord Borealis, the Light of the North and Warden of the North. Frontier Lord James Knox of the Poker Fort, Hammer of the Dornish Session and Warden of the South. Our small council is Lord James the Scholar, Senior Counselor and Master of Whispers. Grand Maester Itai wears the jeweled crown of many medals. Jeweled chain of many medals. <laughs> jeweled crown. Whoa, that's a big promotion. Lord Robert Jacobs is our Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is our Master of Laws. And Lord James Tuttle is our Master of Ships, a.k.a. Grand Admiral. 
<laughs> Lady Dyrliz of Castle Naki is the Alpha Patron. <laughs> Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell, Breaker of the Second Stone. There's High Chieftain Drew of the Frostfangs, Lord of the Claymore. Lord Skip of the Velt, Lord of Castle Ganges. And Lord Anonymous the Unknown, who will soon be named. There's also our Lord Commander Shepard commanding our Kingsguard. And since the voters episode, we'll also shout out to Sir Andrew the Prophet, longest tenured white sword, Sir Paul Greenhand, Sir Dollars D, Sir Darren the Red, Knight of the Forums, Elia of New York, and Sir Patrick the Sloth. Also the thank, Sloth. The Sloth, that's a great one. <laughs> also thanks to Lord Commander George the Golden of our History of Westeros Night's Watch, and King's Justice, Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. And thanks to our faceless person whose support granted them three votes towards this episode. Now, note that Patreon support could be used for advertising a blog. Examples such as Civilization X, who has supported us, and we put a link to their page on our supporters page. Also, Lucifer Means Lightbringer, who we've mentioned before, because uh, he's one of our northern champions, and his name pops up from time to time in our episode, in the past also, episodes. Also, look at, uh, you know... Uh... Maester David, who is uh, advertising for Radio Westeros. That's again, right. <laughs> quite now, nicely. we're very close to our next Patreon milestone. As of this recording, less than $70 a month away from that milestone, which is regular Q&A apps. That sounds fun for all of us. I hope we get there soon. We'll start doing those as soon as we get to that milestone. <laughs> okay, so a little post-episode chat. Yeah. Uh, we thought we'd talk a bit about, there was some art of the tragedy at Summer Hall in The World of Ice and Fire. If you haven't read The World of Ice and Fire, well, you should have read it before you listen to this episode, I was going <laughs> to say, but uh, probably most of you have, um, so if you've seen it, you can whip out your book and go look at it. This is done by the incomparable Mark Simonetti, who did George's favorite depiction of the Iron Throne. Yeah, that giant one. Yeah, that yeah. giant, that giant one, and the 2013 A Song of Ice and Fire calendar. So, he's generally a little reliable, but there have been errors in the art in the world of Ice and Fire. So, yeah. there's, there's a lot of details in this um, Summer Hall piece. For instance, in the bottom left corner, you can see Rayella giving birth there um, with a maester there um, birthing her. The problem, one of the problems with the art I see is the flame is the wrong color. If yeah. wildfire was the reason that Summer Hall went wrong, the flame should be green. George said he was real particular about the art being accurate, but he may have not noticed that, or that one may have snuck by, or something very different happened at Summer Hall. But <sighs> if wildfire is clearly stated to be the a main yeah, thing that yeah. went wrong. So I just, I think that's, a, I think it's just a mistake. Yeah, it's, I think it's a mistake I think that's too. far more likely. When you look in the picture, you can see figures in Summer Hall there, which is kind of interesting too. You can see people bringing, bringing people along the shore. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting piece. I, I don't think we should read too much into it, but uh, definitely worth a look. I guess that would be, you said the shore, I guess there's a little lake there or something? Yeah, it's like a lake. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I might just be, it just like looked like an embankment, like a little mm, hill. Oh, okay. I, I don't yeah. think there's water. I think I'm just like, I was just calling it that. Okay, because uh, I can remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just like she's like along like an embankment, and the ma and the maester's like in front of her, and then like you see some other people, like someone bringing someone on, and you see some people in the in summer hall burning. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth a shot. There's like no artwork of summer hall or anything. There's like no art. There's hardly any historical artwork in yeah. general. I try. Mm -hmm. I do the. Fan Artist Fridays on our Facebook page where I try to share historical artwork when possible, but there really, really isn't any. Yeah, it's usually, we pretty much are mostly showing 
current characters yeah. and current art and current cast, which is fine. That stuff yeah. is fun too. It's great. The, the, the fan art Friday is is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's Fan Artist Friday. Fan Artist Friday, yeah. excuse me. But uh, anyways, uh, if you have your copy of The World of Ice and Fire, definitely recommend checking out this one depiction of Summer Hall. Um, <laughs> Even though it may not be entirely accurate, but it seems like the color of the flames is the only thing that seems to be obviously wrong with it. Yeah, well, there's also just, like, the thing about, like, how many people were surviving, like, you can't read too much, like, that maester right there birthing Rhaegar. Yeah. Know, like... We who know you know who knows about that? Yeah, exactly. That's but it's it's, it's nobody. I mean, it's not like the artist was there. <laughs> Summerall. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about the eggs. There were dragon eggs used, of course, at Summerall. That was the main thing. And this egg itself was there a dragon in here? <laughs> no. There's crumbs. No Is it, this one's immune to fire. Yeah, it's just now, like some crumbs. Of, of course, egg would have his own egg in there uh his own egg that he was put into his cradle that would be the most likely egg to be one of the seven yeah. i would think that maybe Eamon's egg would be one of theirs i don't think yeah. Eamon took his egg with him to to, to the wall he didn't have it yeah. when yeah. he left for bravos yeah yeah maybe ray and Della. arian I, arian had only died a year before yeah. arian the monstrous yeah. the bright arian bright flame his egg would still be arian on the hand monstrous. <laughs> <laughs> That's his other nickname. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> uh, of course, like you said. Uh, little Magor, Arian's son, maybe his egg was around, but I would maybe think that Arian's egg just passed to him, but he was born before Arian died, so that's yeah. tricky. And then there was Egg's uh, older brother, Daron the Drunkard, yeah. and his son, Daron the Brave. Either of them could have had eggs, we're not sure. Yeah, we might have had, you know, Jaehaerys and Shara. Might have had eggs, but their yeah. eggs might have been recycled eggs. Yeah, it's, it's that's the thing. Once we go back too far in the past, you're starting to get into eggs that may have belonged to somebody and then given to somebody else after they died. Like Regal, who was the the one that danced naked through the Red Keep, so he yeah. was kind of born Father, mad. Father, yeah, Aelor and Aelora. Yeah, and so he probably had an egg too, and yeah. Aelor, his his he had children, even though he was mad. Uh, his children probably had eggs too, and they were most they were all dead before even. Well before mm -hmm. Egg was king, so their eggs could have been around. But again, those could have eggs could have been belonging to multiple people. One thing I think is pretty likely, though, is that none of these eggs survived. I, I know that eggs can survive. These dragon eggs seem kind of tough. But wildfire is awfully destructive, and yeah. yeah, I don't know. None of these egg, none of these eggs that we know of match the descriptions of any of the Plus, you think that that would be more likely to be mentioned, you know, once the once the flames had died down, you know, they picked up the dragon eggs yeah. and brought them back, you know. It's somewhat notable. They all just, like, ditch out Summer Hall, you know, get away. The fires <laughs> are still, still burning. The fires burning. are still burning. Yeah. And then someone just comes up along Summer Hall and is like, seven dragon eggs. Hell yeah, score! <laughs> <laughs> And uh, then they start hatching. <laughs> Seven dragons! Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, Duncan the Small is another one who might have had an egg. You know, he was... I don't know, you wonder if he gave up his claim to the throne. Did he also have to give up his egg? Yeah. <laughs> another kind of sad possibility that I don't think anyone wants to believe, but, but makes sense, is something we mentioned at the beginning of the, this whole Summerhall saga. It's the possibility that the sword Blackfire was destroyed yeah. by Summerhall. If not, if not Blackfire, perhaps Dark Sister. Yeah. Perhaps both, which would suck, because those <laughs> swords are cool, and I want them to be around, but there's just no hint for where they could be, and I'm not one of those people that believes that Bloodraven was allowed to take <laughs> Dark Sister with him to the wall, so 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just don't. I just don't know about that. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. He took it to the wall. I'm just. <laughs> if I had to guess, I would say no. He was not. <laughs> I mean, the dude was sent there as a traitor. Why would they allow him to keep this ancestral sword that yeah, had belonged right? to Visenya and yeah. all these other famous people? Like, it's a really yeah. valuable sword. <laughs> Yes. So that's uh, hopefully not the case, but we'll be talking more about Dark Sister and Blackfire. They're going to get their own episodes down the line. They're already actually part written already. Yeah. Now there's another, we're going to get a little crackpot for a minute here just for fun. A theory that's been tossed around a bit is the exploding egg theory. That would be <laughs> the reason given for what happened in the, it could be a reason for what happened at the Doom, the dragon egg at the Doom, as well as Hardhome. And Summerhall. So I don't know what would cause an egg, dragon egg to explode. And I don't, there's not like strong evidence for it. It's just a, something, an idea that some people out there had. It was, the theory was introduced to me by our own Lucifer Means Lightbringer, who we mentioned earlier as a supporter of the show and a great a Song of Ice and Fire thinker. I really like his, uh, his, some of his real ancient, like large-scale history analysis. So like I said, his blog, there's a link to his blog on our supporters page. Check that out. But... That's basically the idea that that's something that this is why the Faceless Men wanted the egg from Euron, that Euron may have paid them to assassinate Balon Greyjoy with, that they have some want, desire for this egg, some use for it. And that would be, you know, they, they've had an egg to blow up, you know, Hardhome and the Doom, and now they want to do that again. I don't know where, uh, what they would use it on. That would be building on something that's already a bit crackpot, but it's a cool idea. Uh, I'm not a big tinfoil guy, but I do enjoy some tinfoil, and, and when a theory uh, has, you know, is pretty well developed, I'm, you know, I think it's fun to talk about. A couple other things, just for fun, there's a few things that we ran across while researching this episode that didn't really fit in any, any narratives that we kind of decided to go with for this episode. Uh, what about Jaharius living a little longer? I'm not a big on what ifs either. It's just, it's just so complicated. Oh, yeah. But I like simple what ifs are okay. I just don't like what ifs after other what ifs. That's just, yeah. just going too far. It becomes fan fiction, basically. Yeah. But simple what ifs, I think, are kind of fun because you're just not stepping too far away from the source material. Uh, so what if who would Jaharius have married Rhaegar to if Jaharius hadn't died so young? See, that isn't a what if. That's a who. who that's would. a what who. Yeah, who, who what where. No. But I think probably would have had another kid. Mm. They would have had a daughter. They would have had some sort of child. That's possible. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you know. Maybe it, it would have been easily possible for Jaharius and Shara. Everyone wiped out. You, you think they try to have someone else? That's a good point. That's a very good point. And so he would have married his aunt. <laughs> yes, yes. Weird. But, you you know, know, it's even possible. What's even it's kind of funky to think about. Jaharis and Shara were not too old. They could have had more kids themselves. If they that, that's longer. what I mean. Oh, that's what Jaharis you mean. Oh, and Shara would have oh. had a child. They would have tried to have a kid because everyone was wiped out. So they maybe would have tried to okay. have someone. Yeah, I misunderstood. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, right. Because Rhaegar is a baby, and if they had another baby, yeah. their age would be pretty close. Obviously, Ares and Rayla were trying. Yeah. So like, if they. If if they lived, then they would be like, okay, well, they're not succeeding. Let's have a child again. It'd be kind of a reversal, sort of, of what happened with uh, Prince Damon and Rhaenyra. This is the first yeah. time an uncle married a daughter. Oh, yeah. And this would be, of course, would be reversed, sort of. Yeah. And, of course, this child wouldn't be Rhaegar's aunt. Well, it would be the same for, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it would be, uh, it would be the same for uh, Daenerys and Rhaegar. Oh, yeah. Uncle and Uncle. And, that's true. Maybe not for Daenerys and Rhaegar, Daenerys and Aegon. You're so. right. Oh, yeah, Daenerys and Aegon. But, uh, yeah, that's awfully funny. Uh, 
It's random. Yeah. Or, you know, if Jarrah would share, you know, Rhaegar marries Sharon, she would be way older. Yeah, that'd be too old. She wouldn't be able to have Some's kids. looking at other. Yeah, marrying your, that's, wait, would it be? That would be her grandmother. Marrying his own grandmother. Yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> weird. But uh, if the timeline worked out differently, that kind of thing would be possible. It'd be, it'd be possible for the grandmother to not be that much older. That's what I was thinking of, because I knew that they were real young. They were both sets of parents were real young. So I was like, Is it, was it technically possible for her to have kids? No. Fun I mean, not with, quite. Fun with incest. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, When yeah. is incest ever fun? Well, the Targaryens make it fun. It's, but, yeah, there's not really any uh, family ties that Jaehaerys had that we could draw from. Um, in terms of who he would marry Rhaegar to other than a Targaryen if he was so into in intermarriage. Yeah, that's true. He was in, he, you're right. He was in intermarriage with his father that was kind of breaking the tradition. Yeah. He and his, his so, sister kind of brought yeah, that they back. they were in love and then they had Ares and Rael and Mary and he thought it was the thing to do. Thing he brought it do. back into vogue, I guess. <laughs> but, um, Bringing incest back. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I guess it would have been a priority of his to get some sort of female in the family for Rhaegar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't know what his alternative would have been. Yeah, uh, me neither. It's 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 big. That's this the, hence the problems with what if questions. Yeah. You never know what they would have done or what decisions they would have made or maybe they could have brought out one of the maybe there could have been a Baratheon or something. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Another, maybe, I mean, maybe they would have let let Tywin marry Cersei to him. Yeah, Harris might have went, been okay yeah, with that. Jairus yeah, might, Well, he would have been like, it makes perfect sense, and she's blonde, so it'll yeah. at least be decent in terms of, you know, uh, yeah. It'll keep the Targaryen good looks around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the what if I, I like is, uh, yeah, if Rhaegar had married Cersei, it's, been. It's funny to think about, because Cersei, Aerys is, you know, crazy and, and random, and Rhaegar is who he is, but Cersei, to me, you know, there, was, there used to be rumors and, and theories that Cersei was... A potential child of Ares's too, but the, yeah. you know, as long as the War of Ice and Fire pretty much crushed that theory. Mm. But and it actually, in a way, I like to think about Cersei as Cersei isn't Dragonfire; she's Wildfire. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, she's that kind of crazy. Just whatever she touches, she destroys, and you mm -hmm. never can tell where it's going to go next. Whereas, you know, Rhaegar was more focused but illogical, <laughs> as we went over before. Hmm. One other random fun fact that we'll throw out. Who remembers Squire Dalbridge? Mm -hmm. I know that name is familiar to you if you don't remember exactly who he is. He's the guy that was in court Halfhand's party when Jon Snow went beyond the wall for the first time. He's the one that stayed behind to guard the gorge to sacrifice himself, picking off wildlings as they went through to delay them so that Corrin and Jon and Eben and Stone Snake could get away. Well, remember who Squire Dalbridge was a squire for in his youth. King Jaehaerys II. Mm -hmm. Old guy, apparently. <laughs> and Jaehaerys, as we know, wasn't much of a fighter, so I don't know, maybe he had an easy job. But you wonder why he ended up on the wall. Did yeah. he do something wrong? Did he, did he fight in the War of Nine Penny Kings? I mean, he probably would have stayed behind with his king if he was squire to him, or I don't yeah. know. But he certainly never got beyond squire. Or, of course, the nickname, squire is his nickname. That's yeah. not, you know, he, he doesn't seem like he was ever knighted. But it's interesting. I like to think about that. And such are these small dot connectings that we can always do with A Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> that concludes today's episode. If you are a sports fan and you like drafting or fantasy sports, go to historyofwesteros.com and sign up for DraftKings. You can play football, which is coming around soon. The football season is getting started again soon. And if you love drafting, it's fun because you can do it every week instead of just once for the whole season. You get to pick a team, 
using a budget that you are assigned and you get to watch the games and see how your players do. It's a lot of fun. And frankly, DraftKings gives us a nice cut of the action for signing people up. That's why we're advertising it here. It's one of the only, probably the only thing we talk about that's unrelated to A Song of Ice and Fire. But hey, we got to do what we got to do <laughs> to make this thing uh, workable as a job for us. And if you donate, we'll have, look at this, look at this. The egg is empty. There's no cookies in here. <laughs> we have no cookies. <laughs> but we do have cats, as you saw, walking around earlier. So sign up for DraftKings on History of Westeros if you are so inclined and a sports fan. There's always some sort of sign-up bonus, some sort of free ticket. So take advantage of that. And there's also always a deposit bonus. They will match whatever you deposit up to about $600. So pretty good value. All right, folks. That concludes our episode, as well as our cookies. <laughs> so, Valar Morgulis, everyone, will be back sooner than usual with the next episode on Damon Blackfire. We'll have Stephen Atwell back as a guest, and we're looking forward to getting back to the Blackfires, as I know a lot of you are as well. Hope you enjoyed our two-parter on Summer Hall, and if you want to get involved in the episode voting, check out historyofwesteros.com. Click on the Patreon links and see what it's all about. Thanks again, everybody. Valor Margolis. See you next time.